Hello and welcome to Atlantic Conversations. I'm Fanula Sweeney. The Atlantic Fellowship Programme works with a diverse community of leaders around the world with a common commitment to fairer, healthier, more inclusive societies. Through its seven programmes focused on equity and healthcare, socio-economic equity and racial equity, the Atlantic Fellowships offer those leaders an opportunity to gain new perspectives and new colleagues, while strengthening their confidence in their work for change. In each podcast, I'll be speaking to an Atlantic Fellow about their work and ambitions for a more just world. For this series of podcasts, I travelled to Melbourne to meet up with some of the first Atlantic Fellows for Social Equity. Their programme is based at the University of Melbourne. Today, I'm joined by Jodie Barney, an Atlantic Fellow for Social Equity, who works as a trainer with the deaf community. Jodie is herself deaf, and so her responses are spoken by her interpreter, Julie Judd. But there was a time when Jodie could hear. I was actually born deaf, and then I could hear. I had an operation. Then after that, at 29, I got an illness and I became deaf again. And were you in this work at that time? Yes. I've been in this work for over 30 years now, so I'm old. (laughs) But that's what happens in the deaf community. If you have somebody who has a particular skill in communication then automatically you become the interpreter for your family or for members of the community. From an Aboriginal perspective, we always have purpose in our lives. The elders will tell us what our role is. So from a very young age, I've always been an advocate. And so it's become an automatic thing that I take on. And I'll hand that on in 20 years' time. Did that help alleviate the loss of hearing at the age of 29, that purpose? To tell you the truth, I wasn't that upset when I lost my hearing because I already was born deaf. I became hearing. And when I became hearing, that's when things started to get very strange. It was hard to adjust to noise. My Irish mother told me that I had lived in two worlds, in the deaf and in the hearing world, and I'd grown up in two worlds as well, being an Aboriginal and from Irish heritage. So when you think of it that way, I've come from four different dimensions. I've had to navigate that and work through it. Becoming deaf again didn't really matter. I just went back to my old ways of being. That is incredible and inspirational for many people, I would think, who lose their hearing and feel debilitated by it. Well, it can be debilitating because it's very new, a new situation and a big change in your life, a new way of thinking, a new way of communicating, worrying about how you're going to be able to understand what's happening and how hard you need to work in order to get through your life so that it can be an enjoyable life. But if people can find the right support systems, whether that be through spoken English and hearing aids or technologies or through sign language, that's up to the person and their preferences. I think that they should be able to be accepted regardless as to what choice they make. I was born as a native deaf Aboriginal woman and I've become a native deaf Aboriginal woman again. So... That's been an automatic process for me, but I think other people who have become deaf really do need some more support and really need to understand what is available out there for them. What is 
the difference between being a trainer for people who are deaf and being a trainer for people who are Aboriginal? Being a trainer for deaf people would be focusing on their particular needs, language needs, being deaf, their cultural identity, their preference, whether it be sign language, their cultural knowledge about deaf ways of being. So training them on awareness in terms of access, it might be access to interpreting, to captioning, to note-taking, could be a number of things. So training in that area is more about awareness and how to engage with deaf people who use sign language as a first language. Training with Aboriginal people is very similar, but focusing on cultural impacts. What does it mean for the person to feel connected to country, connected to their family, to be identified as First Nations people and the importance for Aboriginal people to feel that connection. I think there's similarities between the two groups. Both have visual language as well. Both groups have experienced discrimination, being oppressed, but there's differences for Aboriginal people and that is the colonisation factor. Stolen generations, the impact of Western society on cultural law. Would it be correct to say that being a trainer for deaf people who are Aboriginal is synonymous in a way with being a leader because of the need for this greater awareness and intuition about how an Aboriginal deaf person is dealing and coping with day-to-day lived experiences? Yeah, you could say that. It's that double negative view of others on our community and people who are considered others. They become oppressed because people think they need to be looked after. And do they need to be looked after in a way that's different from other people? No. However, the mindset of the broader community is there because of their idea of identity and also the stigma that's put on Aboriginal deaf people. Aboriginal people who are deaf or hard of hearing often are seen as clients or people who are less than that don't have any value to add to the community and that's in a Western framework. But if we look at a cultural framework, then we're not looking at the identification of a disability. In Aboriginal culture, being deaf brings other attributes. The person has visual awareness and more understanding about an environment. They can read body language. They can see how people are going to be responding to certain things. That's a strength-based approach, whereas in the Western framework, If you have a disability or a heritage or marginalised view and you're seen as an other, then you don't have the same value put upon you, you're not seen as contributing and you don't see them as a human in terms of the way they approach life. And it's considered a lot more negative rather than a strength. Often in a Western situation, I would have either to pick my identity. Am I Aboriginal or am I deaf? It's almost like I can't be both in the one person. But my Aboriginality and my culture is accepted automatically within the Aboriginal community. It's the structures of our heritage in the Aboriginal community to look after children. But because of poverty, disadvantage and colonisation, a number of reasons, 
that oppressive behaviour has been occurring within community, thinking that things are dreadful. And that makes Aboriginal deaf people think that they're terrible, that they don't have anything to contribute. So they confuse their identity. That's very interesting. Is that not just within the Aboriginal community? Would it be fair to say that that is exaggerated or more prominent in the wider, whiter society? I'd say from a deaf perspective, that can happen too. If you have a deaf person who doesn't have any other person in their family that's deaf, for example, a deaf child who's born to hearing parents and 95% of children who are deaf are born to hearing parents, often these children don't have access to deaf role models, to somebody who identifies as deaf and no sign language either. So that can really ruin and oppress their identity whereas the medical model of disability means that, okay, we'll provide hearing aids, we'll provide speech therapy, we'll provide cochlear implants, and then your identity is going to be of a hearing person. We find that later in life, these children have real problems with mental health because they can't get access to their identity as a deaf person. For Aboriginal deaf people who are removed from their homes because they have a disability or because they may be living in poverty or because of reasons to do with race, they also feel disenfranchised because they can't connect because they have that double disadvantage. It can go either way, but for Aboriginal children, I think that it's worse. Talk to me about sign language for the Aboriginal deaf person. There are so many different languages in the Aboriginal culture. Is there one common sign language that transcends them all or are adjustments made? Unfortunately, there's not one sign language because there's not one spoken language when we talk about different Aboriginal people. We have Australian sign language, which is used by the deaf community, the broader deaf community, and that's accepted. And there's dialects within Auslan, Australian sign language, where we live, but... People generally know each other and can move about the country without a problem and communicate, whereas with Aboriginal sign languages, you can't move them into different areas. They're context-dependent. They're context-bound languages. How does that make your job easier or difficult working in that context? Fortunately, I grew up learning a whole variety of Aboriginal sign languages. I've been fortunate to have had exposure and skill to 18 sign languages, and I've developed those to bridge communication between deaf people, Auslan interpreters, in a number of scenarios. But it can be difficult for people working with these people who are not familiar with their sign language. You're quoted as saying... I want to break down the barriers which lead to erroneous judgments and low expectations. Regardless of what form of communication is used, people's stories need to be heard to find common ground. This could be said of hearing people as well as deaf people. How do you describe yourself and what it is you do? Because you're unique in this country, aren't you? I think everyone is unique in some way or another, but I do have a unique skill within the community because we come from a small community. There's not many people that do what I do. The work that I do is at a high level, so that means that I work very hard in complex cases for case management and advisory positions. So unique, yes, but I think it's really part of who I am. 
this has been my life and I know what it feels like to be discriminated against. I know what it feels like to be put down. Because of my education, I've worked through things, I've been resilient. And so I think that if I can give people knowledge of my work and give them the opportunity to be using me as a role model, that they can succeed, then I think that's possible. Can you think of specific examples where you have been able to have that kind of impact with someone that you thought perhaps you mightn't be able to or who themselves perhaps thought they weren't going to be able to be happy or fulfilled? I've got many examples. I've been working in the area for over 30 years now, but my project for Atlantic Fellows is to bring together deaf Aboriginal women from the centre of Australia who have very strong Indigenous knowledge but not a lot of knowledge about deafness, together with people from the East Coast who have a strong deaf cultural identity but not a lot of strength in their Aboriginal cultural identity and merge the two together. And that's been going for the last 18 months. What I've seen is some amazing developments with some of the women, their capacity to take on and learn and think more broadly, thinking that they can be assertive, that they can achieve things in small steps. We're at the toddler stage at the moment, so we're finding our feet and where we can tread and that can create change within the community for people to feel comfortable, to feel a sense of identity, to feel that they don't need to separate their identities, deaf and Aboriginal. They can be together. And does that bring you joy and satisfaction in your work? Oh, I'm inspired by these women. People say, you're an inspiration. And I say, I couldn't do what I do without my community. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve the community to ensure that they have promising lives and be able to have and achieve what they need. And it might be just a basic need like accessing healthcare. One example I can give you is a woman who received a job for the first time She's 47 and it was because of her skills and knowledge and her willingness to help out and helping out other deaf young women and youngsters share with them her culture and her sign language. It was the first job that she'd ever had in 47 years. That's a huge change for her, a huge shift from her being passive and not included. 10, 20 years from now, how would you like the landscape to be for Aboriginal deaf people in society? I would like to see the future develop where young deaf women, people I'm supporting now, do what I'm doing. Become somebody like me to spread this into the community and set up this information so that I don't have to go out there all the time. I can retire. (laughs) To see people enjoying their successes I would like to become an elder in my community to know that the community is in safe hands with women who can create change. But not only women, men too, but we need to have women supporting and nurturing other women because this nurturing comes from the experience of women nurturing children until they grow. A final question, if I may, about being an Atlantic Fellow and now part of the wider Atlantic Fellow community, a global community. Have you given any thought as to how that might help or inform your work or vice versa? 
I'm learning so much, gaining so much knowledge. I'm meeting other people, other fellows from all the other hubs around the world who have given me new perspectives, new perspectives on looking at the world, seeing the world, how I can use their perspectives and the way they communicate with other language groups, whether they be deaf, whether they be hard of hearing, finding those similarities and being able to connect with those fellows. That's very important to me, but also to provide them with the knowledge that I can give, my expertise in this particular Indigenous space with sign language and Aboriginal people's needs. Atlantic Fellow for Social Equity, Jodie Barney, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much and thanks to our interpreter who's been my voice today. And that was Jodie Barney, Atlantic Fellow for Social Equity, with thanks to her interpreter, Julie Judd. For more information, you can visit www.atlanticfellows.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to the Atlantic Conversations podcast.